1: We have the title for this podcast as this might get uncomfortable, which is an eyebrow raiser for a lot of people. It's interesting to share this podcast with people that have never heard of it before, because most of the time, Whitney, I'm I'm curious if this is your experience. People definitely kind of do like, not literally, but their own version of like the people's eyebrow from the rock. It's like, "Mm, this might get uncomfortable. Tell me more. So in that regard, I feel like I don't know that we necessarily selected this title to elicit that response from people, but it is really interesting to see how curious people get when we share the title. And then, of course, the concept of what we present here on this might get uncomfortable. The thing that I think it naturally brings up, though, is does that mean being comfortable is bad? I've had people purport that question in various versions, not verbatim, but like, oh, well, are you implying that discomfort is the better choice. And to us, we say we're trying to get past these binary sets of evaluations regarding life. Being uncomfortable isn't better or worse than comfort. However, the reason we chose this might get uncomfortable for this podcast is because we found that when we challenge ourselves to do things that scare us, to do things that make us feel like, oh God, I don't know if I can pull this off. I'm not sure if I can do this. That level of discomfort, specifically what we're talking about in moving past self-imposed limitations, moving past fears, moving past, you know, those icky belief systems that hold us back, that's the kind of discomfort we're talking, where we willfully choose to put ourselves in positions to try things we've never done before. Make new life experiments, get outside the box, all those other cliche phrases, they're cliche because they're true. All of this is to say that today, Whitney, I want to discuss with you this idea of comfort. Internal comfort, discomfort versus external comfort and discomfort. And I want to lead it off by saying that I've noticed something about myself in terms of comfort recently. And it's this when I have blocks in my schedule or during my day where I literally don't have anything scheduled or anything to do, you know, whether that's a two hour block, a five hour block, some usually it's at the end of my day. I have found that I observe myself not knowing what to do when I don't have something scheduled. like Say here's a four-hour block of time where I could relax on the couch, I could take a nap, I could watch the basketball game, I could do any of those things. I'm finding that physiologically and mentally, it has been very difficult for me to get comfortable. It's almost as if, and I don't know if this is endemic of maybe workaholism or some kind of offshoot of that, but it's really difficult for me to relax and get comfortable. And I'm actually like saying this out loud for the first time because it's been something I've noticed but haven't discussed. And I'm wondering if that's just me like in this habitual space of like go, 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 and always feeling like I have something to do or feeling guilty if I'm not doing something. But it's almost as if I've taken our mantra of this podcast too literally, and I'm constantly wanting to fling myself into things that I have resistance toward or things that I feel uncomfortable doing to the point that relaxation and comfort almost feels foreign now. I'm curious if you relate to this feeling, if you have difficulty winding down and being comfortable. And then the other question is like, what things bring you comfort? And do you seek out comfort in different ways? What does comfortable even mean to you?
0: <laughs> well, I'll start with sharing the dictionary definition from Oxford of the word comfort, which is a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint, followed by the easing or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress. So certainly, if you're experiencing distress, comfort is something you can do. Well, it's literally the act of alleviating that distress. So I think comfort is important. Stress is not something that's beneficial for us physically, mentally, or emotionally in the long run. Grief, certainly. Many of us, when we feel grief, it's very painful. So we want to ease and alleviate that. I think the word wrong is very, very relative. And I use it incredibly lightly and intentionally. And I also think this phrase, there's nothing wrong with, is very overused because sometimes you do see things that are wrong with, but it's kind of like a pros outweighing the con or a con outweighing the pro type of thing. And there's different sides to this, right? So sometimes we overease or over alleviate our discomfort, our grief, our distress. Sometimes that's a coping mechanism and coping mechanisms serve us and sometimes they don't serve us. Sometimes we cope for too long. Sometimes we don't maybe cope in ways that are beneficial for us. Maybe they hurt other people. Like this is a complicated thing. And I think many of us and As human beings, if not most of us or all of us, yearn to ease pain and constraint. As animals, I don't think in general want to be constrained. It's scary. It's tied into our survival. And of course, you might want to feel some ease. And I I really think it's important for each of us to reflect on what that means for us. I spoke on a podcast recently. It was really wonderful. And I will link to it in the show notes at WellEvator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, along with anything else we reference here today, the transcript, everything there is at WellEvator.com in the podcast section. And I'll link to this other podcast that I was on that I think many of our listeners will enjoy because in that episode, I was talking about being a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist, which is something I know many, many of our clients, students, listeners struggle with. It's a very common thing, especially for women. We have a lot of women who listen to this show. And one of the reasons I was talking about people-pleasing and perfectionism is because the podcast I was on is very geared towards women, and it's a common challenge. And in, in that episode, I talked about how one of the best things that I've been doing for myself relatively recently, so in the past few years, I think, especially once I got deeper into my understanding and practice of meditation, which was around 2017. So the past four years, I think that I've been very mindful about practicing this, which is pausing. And the act of pausing to reflect is incredibly important to me and beneficial. Because when I pause, I can examine, I can grow my awareness. And that helps me understand. What is best for me in that moment that helps me understand what my motivations are? So, to your example, Jason, want to experience comfort. For me personally, one of my go to's is using TikTok. I've been on TikTok since October 2020, and it has become something that I use most days as a source of comfort, as a source of escape, as a source of entertainment, sometimes as a source of coping. And is also a source of information and connection. there's a lot that I get out of that platform. I really like the medium. I like the atmosphere of TikTok right now in May 2021. I am aware that it could change and shift, and I may I probably won't always feel this way about it. And I noticed how social media, also given my awareness of social media's role in many of our lives and how a lot of us tend to go to social media for comfort, for distraction, for entertainment, for news, for connection, all these things that I'm listing. This is a huge part of the human experience culturally right now. And it is incredibly important for us to be aware because sometimes there are things happening to us psychologically that may not be beneficial for us. And that's one of the big points here is if we are using a platform like TikTok for comfort, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but if we are aware of why we want to use it, if we're aware of how we're using it, and we're also doing our best to stay informed about what's going on behind the scenes with the app. Because many people realize that social media is designed by people that are looking to get something out of it by you using it. And sometimes that can lead to us being manipulated without us even realizing it. So that's part of the awareness. And I think the same thing is true, too, with a lot of different forms of comfort, such as watching TV. Same thing, right? There is somebody that's benefiting from us watching a TV show. The advertisers benefit. The producers benefit. The actors benefit. Everybody involved is benefiting. So the longer we watch it, the tune in, the more we spread the word about it. There is a benefit to somebody else in addition to us. That's the way the entertainment world works. And they want us to find comfort in that experience so that we will keep going back to us. They want us to associate that experience with relieving pain and distress and all of that. That is built in there. That's part of how they hook us. And the same thing is true with other forms of comfort, be it fast food, be it alcohol, drugs, All of those different things, there are somebody that is very well aware of the reasons that you're using it. So it's up to us as consumers to also be aware and know how we're playing a role in that cycle. And that's, I believe, how we can determine whether or not we are deeply okay with that form of comfort and decide for ourselves. Because the other level in this conversation is the amount of shame and messaging that goes into convincing us whether or not it's okay for us to be comfortable.
1: I think this is challenging because the line between comfort and escapism is so close. And I also think to your point Whitney with a lot of the things that I do for comfort make the jump into escapism very quickly, and if I'm not aware of it, it's almost like there's there's a point of diminishing returns. And what I've noticed for myself is if I say, as an example, lay on the couch to watch the basketball game. And I've mentioned this on many episodes of the the podcast prior, but it bears repeating, You know, I've struggled a lot with sugar addiction and wanting sweet things for emotional comfort. But I'll notice that at a certain point of say, I don't know, the three-hour experience of watching an average basketball game, that I'll feel a sense of comfort and joy at the beginning. But at a certain point of watching this, I'm like, wow, you have been on the couch for two and a half hours. You have not physically risen to move your body in two and a half hours. And after the first few bites of the chocolate ice cream you're eating, you actually stopped being even present to how much you were eating. And now it's two and a half hours later. You're looking at the empty container of uh, ice cream pint. You haven't moved your body. And my point is that I'll notice that some things I seek out for comfort, whether that's physical or emotional comfort, if I stop being present to my experience of choosing the thing, it can descend into me being completely not present and total escapism very quickly. It's almost like it falls off a cliff and now it's like, oh, the returns are diminishing now because you're not enjoying the ice cream. You don't even remember getting to the bottom of that pint. You're totally zoned out. You're not even really engaged in the game anymore. So for me, I always need to be mindful of when the chasm opens up and that jump is made between you're doing this to feel comfort and now it's just total escapism and your presence is gone, Right. So I think it's a really complicated thing, and it requires us to really be self-aware and pay attention. I think it's the same thing for me, like I mentioned with overeating sugar, overeating sweets. You know, it's like after the first seven bites, does it even taste as good? It really doesn't. After like the first, say, seven to 10 bites wit, the food just doesn't taste as good. So it's like, for me, again, can I enjoy the comfort of two squares of chocolate Rather than eating the whole bar in one sitting, and I'm not implying that's wrong. I've done it many, many times. I've just noticed through self awareness that after those first two squares, wit the chocolate bar doesn't taste as good. After the first hour of the basketball game, I'm like, I'm good. I can watch the highlights later. That's for me in just developing this muscle of self awareness of saying this isn't about comfort anymore. This is you're zoned out and you're engaging in escapism now. And I, I'm wondering, is this something you relate to? And is there sort of an internal signal? that happens in your body or your consciousness, that's like, okay, we're good with this. Like, Do you notice that there's any kind of mechanism in you that you're like, okay, we're at our limit now. Let's get off TikTok or let's stop watching this show. Do you have a similar experience and what is that for you?
0: Absolutely, I do. And that is what I mean. It's taken practice for me to get to that point because a lot of this process that you're describing will numb us. And I think as human beings. We have a tendency to go numb. We get used to things. We don't, we're just not aware. That's really where it's at is that when something's really pleasant, you're enjoying it and you're so caught up in it being pleasant that it, you don't feel that switch between the initial spike of joy that you're experiencing and then it kind of tampers off, but like it still feels good or that you become so numb and like spaced out that you're not. It's also, I think, like drugs, from what I understand, like there's a tolerance level. There are certain drugs that you have to keep upping your dosage of because at a certain point, the brain doesn't. I mean, it's true with most drugs, I believe. I mean, caffeine, even as a drug, if you can get used to having caffeine and then you no longer feel the high from it anymore. So you up your caffeine dosage, so people just drink more and more and more coffee and tea and other stimulants to like feel it. And that, to me, starts to become dangerous because generally speaking with your health, when you have too much of a good thing, your body is going to go the opposite direction. And that's one of the big reasons it's important to be aware. And that's true physically, mentally, and emotionally, right? So my commitment to being aware is because I want to feel that balance. For my belief system, balance is incredibly important. That's why I'm not a big fan of the polar extremes of right and wrong. I like to be in the middle, black and white. I like to be in the gray zone. That feels balanced to me and I can adjust as needed. And I feel comforted actually through the process of being aware because I find comfort in the balance. So it's like being aware of what's making me feel comfortable, that also is another level of comfort. So ironically, it kind of all ties in together. And I think many of us, especially these days with technology, have that experience of numbing out, zoning out, and not even recognizing what we've been doing and how much time has passed. That's such a a common human experience these days. And that's true of, of so much. It's similar also to like the matrix where If we're not fully aware, we're just kind of like going through the motions of life without knowing the reality of what we're choosing. And suddenly it doesn't even feel like it's a choice. We're just going through the motions and the rhythm. And I think that takes us out of the present moment. Time goes by really fast. And I think that's actually the most dangerous part of too much comfort. And maybe one of the reasons that I'm prioritizing awareness is life is going by fast enough already. When I'm very present, I can literally feel every second go by and it's like it slows it down. And that I really enjoy. I enjoy the slowness and we move so fast paced. And we've talked about in recent episodes how technology is literally rewiring our brains. And that might not be great for us because it's causing us to have shorter attention spans. And we just kind of brush that off like, oh, people have shorter attention spans these days. I guess we just have to adjust. But I don't know if that's a good thing because shorter attention spans to me also mean that you're going through life so quickly and life is going by really fast. And this is one of the reasons I started really paying attention to my usage of TikTok. It's known for that. It's an app designed for short attention spans. And yet, you could spend hours on there easily. It's not like you go on there for a short period of time. No, you consume a ton of content in a long period of time in most cases. It's triggering this pleasure center in our brains over and over and over again, very similar to a slot machine. You just literally are pulling down in the app to refresh, swiping through the app, very similar to a dating app where you swipe right left and right and TikTok you swipe up and down and you're just like going through and seeing where the next hit it oh this is boring swipe 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 oh another hit that felt really good i'm going to swipe again and like you just get caught up in this and i often will step back from TikTok and wonder about what that's doing for us in the long run and it's certainly trendy it's certainly what people think they want right now I believe that we're being conditioned to want those things, just like we can find ourselves with any sort of addiction where, of course, it feels good. If you enjoy drinking alcohol, you're going to drink it because you associate it with feeling good. You're going to take a drug because you associate it with feeling good. I, for example, drink coffee every day, almost without exception. Why? I enjoy it. It brings me immense pleasure. I love the whole experience of making it and tasting it and experiment. I mean, it's just like pleasure. So when I wake up, I'm like, ooh, I get some pleasure. I can step away from it and I'm aware I can step away from it. But just because you know you can doesn't mean that you will and doesn't mean that it's easy. Because in your brain you go, Yeah, but that brings me pleasure. Why would I why would I step away from something that gives me pleasure? So I think pleasure and comfort are very similar, Jason, and if we're not aware, it could get out of control or it could lead us to that sense of numbing and time going by really quickly and suddenly we may not be as clear about what we want in the long run because we're just caught up in the pleasure.
1: I think what I reflect on is the compassion for how easily we as human beings, generally speaking, are addicted. Our neurobiology and our neurochemistry is so intricate and wonderful and mystifying. Despite all of the research we have on the human brain, of course, we're still learning so much more about neural pathways and learning and habituation. And in that, I just have so much compassion, Whitney, for my own addictive tendencies, people that have, I suppose, not to quantify this, but you know, major drug addictions, or people in my family that have been addicted. It's as human beings, we're very easily addicted, especially given the advance in technologies, and how they are building the AI and how they're building the user experience on a lot of these apps, like you mentioned. And then on top of that, we have access to so many substances, legal and otherwise. I mean, they're becoming more legal all the time, but you think about, as you said, Whitney, caffeine. I mentioned sugar. You think about the casomorphines in dairy products, how addicting those are. You think about alcohol. There's a lot of things in the world that we get very easily addicted to. So I first of all, just want to say this. I think that there is a rhetoric sometimes of shaming human beings for their addiction. There's a lot of shame around addiction. But if you think about the things that are out there, how they're designed, how they're constructed, how they're produced from foods to beverages to social media, I think we really need to not let ourselves off the hook in the sense of denying the fact that we're addicted or maybe have addictive tendencies, but realizing that as human beings in the modern world, we're facing a lot of temptation for addictive things. It's really not easy. I want to just say that. The second thing, Whitney, is you mentioned coffee, okay? And for the listener, I I don't have a daily ritual of coffee, but I'm wondering, Whitney, what's stopping you from having, you know, and I have no idea how much you drink a day, but like say six, seven, eight cups a day. If it brings you joy, you could easily make that choice. And I know certain people that have that many cups a day, no judgment. But what is it about you where you have this thing you enjoy where you acknowledge that caffeine is an addictive chemical, it can be. I might be phrasing this in a clunky way. Why don't you drink 8, 10 cups a day? Why don't you go there if it brings you joy?
0: Two reasons. One is I don't have the tolerance for that much caffeine, and it will make me feel sick. (laughs) And it also depends on, since I've been getting really into coffee, and by the way, if the listener is into coffee too, I wrote an ebook on it called The Mindful Mug that I don't promote often enough it just came out at the beginning of 2020 and I'm very proud of it so if you are wanting to learn more about my coffee philosophy how I make it how I buy it all of that you can go to our website wellevator.com and look in the show notes and there'll be a link to the mindful mug and depending on how I brew my coffee as I talk about in that book and what beans I buy and all these other factors I have a certain tolerance level and some coffee I can have one cup and just feel so stimulated by it, sometimes in a bad way. There's so many factors that go into how I feel with coffee. And I've learned enough about it to be able to anticipate how I'm going to feel, Jason. I've also found that my general tolerance is two cups a day. And I believe statistically, health experts say that Four cups a day, depending on the ratios, is about the maximum you want to have if you want, don't want it to disrupt your sleep. I also set a time limit for myself because I want to be able to have good sleep. And they say that caffeine will stay in your system. I think it's like eight hours. So you want to work backwards from your bedtime. I personally cut myself off no later than 4 p.m. and that way it doesn't disrupt my sleep to my knowledge. Now, There's a lot of philosophies on coffee in terms of, or caffeine. It may be in your system much longer and you might not even realize how it's disrupting your sleep. So that awareness and knowledge I have about coffee and caffeine in particular, Jason, guide me for my decision making. But secondly, to your point, I don't get pleasure beyond the second cup of coffee, generally speaking. In fact, the second cup is usually less pleasurable to me than the first. The first. I am fresh. I haven't had coffee in however many hours, you know, I've slept. I'm waking up. Like it's one of the first pleasurable experiences I have each day. And so it's, it's heightened. It's exciting. It's the first sip of it is amazing. I've trained myself to be more mindful about how quickly I drink it. Cause sometimes it's so pleasurable. I want to drink it all really quick, but then I feel sad when the cup is empty. <laughs> so I've just tuned into that whole experience of drinking coffee. I also have experimented with cutting out coffee. I did this, I think, two years ago. I just went cold turkey, as they say, and just cut myself off to see how I would feel. And I didn't like get the caffeine headaches or whatever. I missed the experience of it. But there are other things that I could have in place, to your point. Tea or the, all the coffee alternatives that exist out there, like Ticino is one. Carob. There's, there's chocolate can be an alternative. You can make yourself like iced chocolate milks and there's so many things that you can have. And I think for me, I love the specific flavor of coffee, which is very hard to replicate, but you can also have decaf. So if it's specifically about caffeine, decaf could be an option for you. And my point being that part of it is the ritual and that's why it doesn't have to be specifically coffee. But then I recognized Jason that a doing lots of research I found that there isn't definitive research that says coffee is bad for you. Something that I explored in the Mindful Mug is that and actually might add to the book at some point and I don't have a chapter on it currently but a lot of the judgments and this is something I want to get in back in terms of comfort in general is judgments around comfort and there coffee is a complex category subject matter product. And it really depends on where the coffee comes from, how you're making it, and how much of it you're having in order to determine whether or not that is suitable for your lifestyle and your health goals. It's not like, again, coffee is not a black or white subject matter. There's many, many factors, which is another reason I wrote my book is to get into the basics of this to make it easier for people to understand because I found it all very confusing. And now I feel very confident about it, Jason, and that confidence had, has lended, made it easier for me to be aware of my coffee experience. Now, to go back to this idea of judgments, whether it's self-judgments, judgments from other people, cultural judgment, all of that, there are a lot of judgments Around comfort. In fact, I pulled up a ton of articles and I think you and I, Jason, were very drawn. And as we've spoken publicly about on the podcast, how much our philosophies have shifted over time. I know for me, I bought into this like, get out of your comfort zone, like success is on the other side of your comfort and you have to be uncomfortable to grow and all of that. And I just typed in, is comfort bad and found All these articles about that. The first one came from this website called thefrugalgene.com. And the article is titled, Yes, Comfort is Bad and Here's How to Fix It. And at the beginning, the author, who I think is a woman named Lily, said, for example, being fit requires some serious soreness, lots of time commitment to nutrition and working out consistently, none of which is comfortable. But should you still do it? Absolutely. And I can agree with some of that. And then she has a section, Why Comfort is Bad. Short and sweet, comfort is bad because facing adversity keeps us fighting, growing, learning, and forcibly place our trust in others we wouldn't have given away otherwise. And I agree and can see what she's saying in part. But then she gets into a section titled How to Be Uncomfortable. And one of the things she said is, Comfort isn't always bad, but it's mostly bad to me. I'm glad she said to me. So she, this is her opinion, because that's when a lot of amazing people with great potential get lazy. And this is where I don't fully agree. I'm not a fan of the word laziness. And this goes back towards our upcoming guest, or the guest actually we just had, if, since you're listening to us. It was last week's guest on our show, Celeste Heedley, who wrote a book called Do Nothing. It's one of my favorite books, as you can hear in that episode. I really fangirled over her. (laughs) And in her book, Do Nothing, Celeste talks about the origins of our cultural associations with laziness and how a lot of that came from religion. I think it was specifically Catholicism and how many of us have grown to believe and spread this gospel that if we sit around, we aren't just lazy, we're wasting money, we're wasting time. This was drilled into me over and over and over again. And to quote her in the book, Celeste wrote, Over the course of a couple hundred years, the religious notion that working long and hard makes you deserving, while taking time off makes you lazy. This was adopted as an economic policy, a way to motivate employees and get the most out of them. So, one of my big messages with this episode is you have to really understand the roots of your beliefs and keep digging into it through research and looking at history. Because what you may believe about comfort and something like laziness might be rooted in a religion that you don't fully align with, or capitalism, or a work ethic that you don't fully align with. And to believe that you are not deserving because you're resting, because you're not working hard, because you're not hustling, because you're too comfortable, that I take major issue with. Because I believe every person is inherently worthy and deserving. And what you do and how often you do it and how you do it does not fully equate to that. But this has been drilled into us. We want to define people. We want to judge people by their actions. And if their actions come across as lazy to us, They're undeserving.
1: This is all really important to have each one of us get to the foundation, if possible, as you said, Whitney, of why we believe what we believe and what systems have shaped our worldview. There's um, a political writer named Robert Reich, who I follow, and he posts a lot about economic equality in a capitalist system. And he posted something yesterday that I reposted on Instagram. It was a a series of a few slides, Whitney. And he said, This is a list of the states in the United States where the minimum wage can allow you to afford a two bedroom apartment. Now, the national minimum wage is $7.25 at the time of this recording. So you swipe through the slides and all the lines are blank. Meaning, if you're a hardworking person, it's not about effort, right? Because we're talking right now about our belief systems around who gets the favor of. God or society or whatever you believe through your hard work, a person can be busting their ass 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And if they're making minimum wage, his point was there's no state in the United States, contiguous, where you can afford a two-bedroom apartment on minimum wage. And this gets into the rhetoric of a lot of politicians and economists that are like, oh, the handouts are bad and universal basic income is bad. And Continuing to have the unemployment benefits roll on as long as they have is bad because people don't feel motivated to work. And it's like, I don't think that that's true. I, I think that for the most part, human beings are kind of wired to want to create things. We want to put our hands in things and create and move energy in the world. I think that's part of our wiring. So, my counterpoint is I don't think it's a lack of work ethic. I don't think it's a desire of hard work. I think a big part of this is that people adult human beings are not being compensated in a way where they can survive through their hard work. And I say this because we do have it drilled into us, Whitney, of, well, that person's rich, they're successful, they're known because they worked hard. And we said this many, many episodes ago about the myth of hard work and how I use the examples of my family, which I'm still undoing a lot of that, which is we kind of had this unspoken philosophy in my family of like, You might not be the most talented or the most, whatever, privileged or advantaged, but you're going to outwork everyone in the room. So consequently, my entire upbringing was like, I need to work harder than everyone. But that has also had a level of diminishing returns where, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I feel weird about relaxing. I feel weird about taking a nap. I'm still unraveling these thoughts that I have when I lay down to take a nap or I, I try and relax on the couch of like, yeah, but dude, you could be investing right now. And you could be researching loans and you could be looking at new houses and you could, and my brain will just not stop. So I don't know, I don't know in my life that there will ever be, ever be an end to that per se because of the depth of that conditioning. But I can acknowledge that voice and take the nap anyway. I can acknowledge that voice and take a rest anyway. I can acknowledge that voice and tell myself your worth as a human being is not tied to your willingness to burn yourself out to prove to everyone you're the hardest worker in the room. But of course, Whitney, we're still bombarded with that every single day on social media and in the regular media of, wow, they got all this success. Look at how hard they work to achieve it. Who's to say that a billionaire is, quote, working harder than a person who works at a fast food restaurant making minimum wage? I mean, it's implied, right? Well, they just outworked that person. It's not true. It's really, really not true. And so, I say this because I think we really have to do the deep work of unraveling our biases, unraveling these old toxic belief systems, and give ourselves a fucking break. Really.
0: We also need to examine yeah, where these belief systems are coming from, like I said, and who's perpetuating them. And if we are perpetuating them, can we step back and examine the damage that's potentially doing? For example, I just went down a little bit of a rabbit hole behind the scenes. I pulled up an article I found on this website called Elite Daily, which the word elite is a little triggering for me personally. And it seems to be a website targeted towards probably millennials, trendy women, girl bosses, perhaps, people that buy into hustle culture. This, this is my, my impression of it. I will link to this article in the show notes if any of you are curious about it. The article was written in 2013, which is important context for the rabbit hole it just went down. The title of this article is, A Life of Comfort Will Kill You Silently. And man, like, there's a lot of things in here. The author, who's a woman, talks about fear and how not to let fear control us. I get that. Breaking away from conformity, which is also part of our point. How we might be comfortable because it feels like a safety net right? So avoiding fear. And how one line she has here, I don't know if this is her own quote or somebody else's, but she says, it's torture to make yourself comfortable in your own unhappiness. Okay. I could see that. It's just kind of this ongoing, kind of all over the place article, giving a lot of different examples around why comfort is a silent killer. She's encouraging people to get off their ass, to make their unhappiness remaining somewhere out of pure contentment is lazy. This line really triggered me.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Say that again one more time, please.
0: She was giving examples of how comfort in the workplace can be detrimental. So if you're unhappy there, if you remain in a position where you're unhappy, or if you're remaining somewhere just because of pure contentment, that's her words, is lazy. Then she goes on to say, don't ever get too relaxed in your office because you can get replaced. If you're not showing growth or motivation within a company, they can get bored of you and start looking to replace you. There is always someone else out there who can do a task better than you. As soon as you get too comfortable, that's when things fall apart. Ironically, this is what I mean. I don't think this person really knows what she's talking about because she's completely contradicting herself. And granted, 2013. Right. So who knows? I think 2013, there's a lot of hustle culture going on. This is eight years ago. But this mentality is so fucked up to me. As soon as you get too comfortable, that's when things fall apart. Like that's fear. And yet at the beginning, she says, we need to stop letting our fear control us. Like, what the fuck? You're perpetuating fear in people by having them fear comfort. It's complete bullshit and she's quoting JFK there are risks and costs to a program of action but they are far outweighed by the long-term risks and costs of comfortable inaction i mean there's wisdom to that right but the context is frustrating so i was curious like who is this woman clicking through a lot of her articles you know she's still right i think she's a senior lifestyle writer there that's what it says a lot of the articles she's writing feel a bit trendy or clickbaity or whatever, tapping into experiences that millennial and Gen Z women are having. Like, I think, again, that's their audience. And then I went to her Twitter account and she's talking about being hungover and watching TV till 11 p.m. And the only thing that she uses her gym membership for is free tampons and on and on, all of these things. And it's like, okay, you wrote this article eight years ago. Clearly or seemingly either things changed or you're contradicting your, the advice that you're giving to other people, in my opinion, because you, here you are shaming people and in in getting comfortable, but you're talking about getting hung over and watching TV and not using your gym membership to actually work out. And then you're tweeting these things probably to get attention from other people who can relate. And my point is, when you read stuff like this, you can start to have these beliefs reinforced And this is why it's so important for us to be mindful of our social media usage. Who are we following? What do they stand for? And where are they getting their information? Are they educated? Like This is why I love the book Do Nothing and Celeste's work in general. She's so research-based. She's studying this. She's cross-referencing. These are not opinions. These are historical information that she's pulling from, not opinion pieces. And I think social media becomes so dangerous, and then content in general. And our podcast included, Jason and I have our opinions. We're sharing them with you. That doesn't mean you have to agree with us or follow our advice or take us as experts. We have been saying from the beginning of the show, please do not associate us with being experts. We're not gurus. We are changing, evolving human beings, and we are working very hard to encourage you to make the decision that makes sense for you and to get lots of sources in order to make a decision and to challenge your belief systems when we talk about getting uncomfortable there's a reason we use the word might we're not saying this is uncomfortable it's this might get uncomfortable meaning anything could get uncomfortable <laughs> like ultimately that title in itself like could mean anything jason a lot of people like stop and think about what that title means. They're curious. It draws people in as a result, but it's just a possibility. And that's something I think that we have to remember when we're reading articles and hearing conversations around comfort. It's just somebody's opinion. If you're going to believe that person's opinion and align with it and agree with it, where did they form their opinion? And how are you forming your opinion? That's my big suggestion for you. Challenge that. It's so healthy and important that we challenge and cross-reference things instead of taking them at face value. Because I think what happens is you turn into, in 2013, where this woman was at when she wrote this article, she's just spewing out all this stuff and like quoting. I think there's one attributed quote here. There's no backup to any of the things that she's saying, and she's contradicting herself as a result and confusing people, but leading them to feel like, They can't get comfort because it'll silently kill them. And I think that's incredibly detrimental.
1: The part of the article, if I just can extract one thing, was um, the part that triggered you also, Whitney, about how easily one can be replaced. And I think what this engenders is a very unhealthy relationship to our work of constantly or proverbially speaking, looking over one's shoulder, never doing enough, trying to climb that ladder. It also kind of intersects with the people-pleasing thing too, right? Is like, what do I need to do to please my boss so I can stay here? Or, I mean, it's been a few years since you and I, Whitney, have been in working in a corporate environment, right? I mean, we, we both, you and I both left about a decade ago. And I remember being in those environments, not every single job I had, but a lot of those environments with that kind of mentality of sacrificing in some ways, okay, what my creative instincts were as a writer, for instance, when I worked in the advertising industry, because it was like, oh, if I write this thing this way, I know my creative director will like it and I'll win her favor. But I find for me that when I do my best work is when I remove the desire to please and placate whoever I'm trying to and just allow the thing that I want to create to come through and really do for me the hard work of letting go of my attachment to the outcome. Really hard. Are they going to like it? Are they going to approve of it? Do they want me to revise it? Do they want me to change it? Like, okay, I can deal with that when it comes. But if I find if I lead with the intention of I've got to stay safe, I've got to keep my job, got to please my boss, I'm sacrificing the authenticity of my work for the fear of I have to get this. So that point is really triggering for me because I've been in those situations and I have realized for myself, I can't operate creatively or productively under that kind of mentality. It's so stressful to think I have to please this human being all the time so that I don't get fired. I think that's, it's horrible from a level of emotional health. And it's also horrible because I don't think, I don't know, I don't do my best work under those conditions and I'm sure other people feel the same.
0: Absolutely. I'm also excited to share an article I found on inc.com that says, actually, Science says pushing yourself way outside your comfort zone is a terrible idea. Oh, go on. (laughs) Starts off by saying, if you're looking for self-improvement advice online, the first thing you're likely to encounter is some guru armed with a workout metaphor telling you that growth starts where your comfort zone ends. It's simple, intuitive advice, and it clearly appeals to a great many people's masochistic desire to prove their mettle by making themselves uncomfortable. There's only one problem with this bedrock piece of internet wisdom. Science proves it's just plain wrong. This is a phenomenal article. I will link to it. I want to read a little bit more. One example, they said, a number of overeager CrossFit enthusiasts have discovered taking things too far in the other direction will cause you to suffer a list of ailments, and visit your local emergency room writhing in excruciating pain. This isn't just a grim but medically accurate sports metaphor. As performance coach Melody Wildling confessed in the UK Guardian, pushing yourself way beyond your comfort zone psychologically can lead to ugly collapse too. There's a little bit of story here jumping forward this Woman said, I believe it's a woman. On the outside, everything looked peachy, as if I were the picture of success. On the inside, I felt defeated and helpless. In accordance with the self improvement mindset, I rationalized these feelings as stemming from my own inadequacy. I just need to work harder, I told myself. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'll get better. I'll adjust. But no, instead of improving, I found myself laid up in bed, so tired I could barely move, and suffering from heart palpitations and nightmares. By pushing myself in the name of getting uncomfortable, I had self-sacrificed to the point of exhaustion.
1: I feel that. I mean, as you were reading it, I just kind of had this visceral physical reaction to what you were saying, with, because in my own way, I, I have felt what that's like to be so exhausted to the core of my being, and wondering, was this the reward everyone was talking about? Are other people feeling this, but they're just not talking about it publicly? I think that this is, the the key of that is not only the exhaustion this person was feeling, but how the immense pressure to present ourselves publicly in a certain way of, I'm successful, I'm popular, I'm influential, but behind the scenes someone could literally be crumbling. Not only is this a cautionary tale, I think it's relatable as hell if people were to actually say, "Yeah, I know what that feels like." Because it is really relatable. And we've talked about this in various iterations of, you know, we talked about it recently. We had an episode about the mythology of the big break and how people are willing to literally destroy their health, destroy their mental health, destroy their physical health chasing the brass ring in the sky. Only to find you get to that proverbial place, and you're like, "Oh, is this is what I was killing myself to get? This?" Yet the myth continues to perpetuate. It just doesn't want to die,
0: does it? This article on Ink.com, I think, is really enlightening and helpful. It goes on to talk about how to push yourself according to science, and this is what I mean. This, unlike the other article I referenced, this one is based in research. One of the most consistent findings that scientists have had is that the best way to stay motivated is to work on tasks of just manageable difficulty. And author James Clear, who I really respect, explained something called the Goldilocks rule, which is that humans experience peak motivation when working on tasks that are right on the edge of their current abilities. Not too hard, not too easy, just right. Scientists have found that high stress levels don't actually drive high performance, and this is according to Harvard Business School. They also found that flat-out boredom is not a recipe for improvement and achievement. Instead, psychologists recommend that you stay in your stress sweet spot of just a little pressure to improve the fastest. And then the other article says, that, or the end of the article, I should say, same article, Your comfort zone is there for a reason. In a world of increasing demands on our time and attention, our comfort zones act as a predictable space of mastery where we can seek refuge when the stress becomes too much. They act as containers to shore up confidence, gain momentum, and think clearly. When we spend less time grappling with discomfort, we can focus more on what matters most. If people who routinely push themselves past their comfort zones are metaphorically skydiving out of airplanes, those of us who choose to operate from within our comfort zones are serenely laying bricks, creating a home we can thrive in.
1: That's beautiful imagery. I love how they contextualize that. And this idea of resting or finding refuge in our comfort zones, I've never heard it phrased that way. I think that's really, first of all, poetic and beautiful and also also real when i think about my comfort zones that makes a lot of sense it's almost as if like there's a level of acumen and familiarity and i don't know if mastery is the right word but if i think th- about the things that i'm comfortable doing whitney it's almost like there's no effort in it we could name a variety of things i mean and it's all relative isn't it i mean the idea of someone making a caesar salad that could feel massively uncomfortable and intimidating to another person making a Caesar salad from scratch, it's like, oh yeah, I got that. Or being on stage or singing or accounting. And we all have things that I think that in our comfort zones, maybe we can celebrate those things more. Maybe what comes up for me is the idea of, yeah, that is comfortable for me. I do have a level of acumen and mastery over that thing. And instead of making myself feel bad because, oh, you're hanging out there too comfortable, maybe we can celebrate it. What comes to mind is certain artists whether that's, say, an actor or a musician, where he or she or they are typecast. You know, like, oh, yeah, that person, I've seen them in this role, in this role, in this role. And who's to say to, say, a super successful comedic actor? I mean, let's use, like, let's use like Will Ferrell just as a random example. You know, oh, Will, you should really do drama. You should get out of that comfort zone and you should really tackle some dramatic roles he's been one of the most successful comedic actors in history. He's made, you know, God knows how much, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, he's a national treasure as a comedic actor. So who's going to Like, Will, you really need to do like a dramatic piece about loss and pain, like show the world what you can do. He's like, yeah, no, I'm in my wheelhouse. Everyone knows I'm a comedian. So it really is defeating this mindset of you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Sometimes our comfort zones are very profitable and very fruitful for us. If you find your your zone and you stick with it, why the hell not milk it? If you think about it, it's worked for a hell of a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think this all comes down to each of us determining what feels right for us at the time and then also examining. I love the advice that we've talked about here on the show and actually Jason has come up over and over again from other people recently, which I'm fascinated by, is is that question, is it true? And then how do you know it's true? Byron Katie has a wonderful framework around this called The Work and a set of questions that you can ask. And I think that process of examining ourselves is really important because when we believe something like staying in your comfort zone is lazy... You can ask yourself, "Is it true?" And if your answer is yes, then you can ask yourself, "Well, how do I know it's true?" And that's where you can start to examine where you got all these messages and who was saying them. Now, clearly, as I've demonstrated, I tend to trust people that are researchers. I love scientific back studies. I love hearing from medical experts, and I use that word intentionally. Somebody who has A deep foundational education and experience in something is typically how I will define an expert. And when I can read a number of sources from these that are well researched sources, I tend to trust them more than I do anecdotal evidence and little quotes being passed around. I mean, that phrase, you know, growth is on the other side of your comfort zone, which we have certainly used in our marketing. (laughs) So, this is what I'm saying, take things even from us with a grain of salt. Those are very convenient, trendy things to believe and to share and to spread the word on. But then you get caught up in everybody sharing something that they don't even know is true. And then when you really examine it, you've plenty of people saying, well, it's not actually true. And one other resource I found was on WebMD. And the author of this article had an expert, best-selling author, that's the founder of the Fearless Living Institute. And I really liked her name's Rhonda Britton, and she had some really great points. She says, I'm not interested in getting in people getting rid of their comfort zones. In fact, you want to have the largest comfort zone possible because the larger it is, the more masterful you feel in more areas of your life. When you have a large comfort zone, you can take risks that really shift you. She also pushes back when people say that staying in your comfort zone is a rut. And she said, it's not a rut, it's life. Our comfort zone is where we go to recharge in an ever-changing world. It's our place of reprieve where we can conserve our energy and not have to figure everything out. People often don't honor the comfort zones they've created. They think it's wrong or bad to need one. It's not. If you deny that you have a comfort zone or pretend you don't need one, you'll be stressed all the time. When you want to make a life change, build off your existing comfort zone instead of revamping everything at once. And that brings me peace to read, Jason. I feel a sense of relief and comfort by that advice, which is going back to one of the questions you asked me earlier about coffee and one of my big points today, which is, Tuning into myself, when I feel relief wash over me when reading or hearing advice, that's my signal that that is right for me right now in my life. And I much prefer that versus the feeling that I had reading that other article on on Elite Daily that made me feel icky and triggered me. I got very uncomfortable. So it's like sometimes that discomfort that we feel in our bodies and in our minds is a signal that it's not right for us. And I think we're told over and over again, oh, don't worry. Ignore that sense, that intuitive hit that it's wrong for you. Go through it anyways. You got to push through the resistance. And this is something that I think is really tricky because it just really incredibly relative. That's, that's, I think, where I'm at with this right now, Jason. It's Yes, there are plenty of examples in life where you push past the resistance. You allow yourself to be uncomfortable. You experiment with it. But you also have to tune into yourself. And you are the only one who can guide yourself through this. And I think that you learn best by experimenting. You know your body. When you're in a fitness class and something hurts, you know if that's the pain of temporary discomfort or if that's the pain of a potential injury. Your trainer doesn't know what you feel. You can verbalize it, but they're interpreting that in their own brains. Nobody knows how you really feel except for you. So, my advice is I kind of put a bow on this episode is you really need to tune into yourself. That's the only way you can make these decisions. So, whatever we've said today, whatever resonates, when you get that hit of, ooh, they just touched upon something, that is your signal to explore it more, to lean into it, to experiment. And then, if it's uncomfortable, you can still experiment with things that don't make you feel good. But maybe be a little bit more mindful of, of how far you go down, because I think our intuition gives us some major signals, and we need to pay attention to them.
1: I want to share a story I haven't thought of in a while before we wrap this episode, Whitney, about where our edge is and sort of the script or the pressure to move way beyond it. I, was, I took myself to Tulum, Mexico two birthdays ago. And I went on a solo trip and there were some friends there that I met up with, but for the most part I was there on my own, just exploring Mexico, exploring Tulum. And I went one day by myself to one of the Cenote's there, which is a a giant swimming hole natural in the earth, where it's usually in the middle of the forest or the rainforest, and it's this giant, natural, freshwater swimming hole. This particular cenote was one of the larger ones, so there was a lot of people that there that day. And over the cenote was a tree. And there were people diving into the cenote from like the edge of it. And the edge of it was probably, if I had to guess, you know, 50, 55 feet. It was up there. I have a tremendous fear of heights. I always have since I was a child. I don't do well with heights. I feel a primal fear of the idea of heights. Not really, actually not the idea of heights, the idea of falling. Let's be more accurate. Okay. So I challenged myself to jump off the edge of this 50, 55 foot drop, right? Which was high for me. It was like, and I remember standing on the edge, Whitney, feeling that beyond butterflies, like just an iron knot in my gut, you know, of just like, oh my God, are you actually going to do this? And as the trope goes, I felt the fear and did it anyway, right? I was proud of myself. So I was building up. I was, you know, then got a little more comfortable doing this 50 foot dive. And then I noticed this tree that was off to the side, that was an additional probably 25 feet higher than that. I mean it was a big drop into the water. And I'm watching these mostly like young teenage 20 something if I had to guess boys climbing up the tree and in the drop just watching them it was like oh my god. So I got this idea in my head. I'm going to do that. I did the 50, 55. I'm gonna do the 70 foot. I can do this. And I remember walking over to the tree. That I probably did this 15 times Whitney. I walk over to the tree I put my hands on the tree. I start climbing. I get ready to get on the branch. And I walk back down. And I had this internal dialogue of fuck, everyone's judging me. They're gonna think I'm weak. Fuck, why can't I? You did the 50-foot one, dude. You can fucking do this. Do the 75 foot. And this went on for like 40 minutes. Walk up to the tree, try and climb it. But it it was, I'm saying this because the feeling was different than the 50 foot. The 50 foot was like that iron knot in the gut, but it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. The 70, 75 foot that on top of the branch. Okay. So again, you had to climb a tree, walk out onto the edge of a branch and then jump 70 feet down. Everything in my being was like, do not do this. Not just like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. It was like, dude. And so for 40 minutes, I'm trying to push through everything in my entire being. like, Because when I got up on, I froze. So I look back on that moment and how much I beat myself up. I remember leaving that cenote. It was a beautiful, perfect day, right? And I'm just beating myself up. Oh, Yo, you couldn't do it. You fucking pussy. You couldn't fucking do it. You know, be- just being so mean to myself, that voice in my head. And now I look back on it after this conversation and I'm like, you know what? That was so unnecessary for me to beat myself up. And why was I beating myself up? Because I was on that script of, you didn't conquer that fear. You're weak. You failed you felt the primal fear and you couldn't do it. Instead of rewarding myself and being like, dude, you have such a primal fear of heights. You did a 55 foot drop. Wasn't that enough? It wasn't enough. Because the script in my mind was you need to conquer the giant dragon. So I say that because I think it's time for us to all stop beating ourselves up and being so cruel to ourselves when we don't do the thing that we think is like some self-defining thing. Like, Would anybody else in that cenote give a shit whether I jumped off that tree? Would anybody else in my life give a shit? No. It was all me trying to live up to some illusion in my head of being this fearless alpha male who conquers the dragon and slays his fears. And I can laugh about it now. But I beat the shit out of myself for that, Whitney. So my impression of this is like, can we be gentler with ourselves? Can we have more compassion for the folly of the human experience? and not push ourselves to maybe do things that are dangerous, right? Because who's to say? I could have jumped off that branch and hit that water and really hurt myself. Who knows why I didn't do it? But I look back on that, and I have a lot of compassion for myself. So that being said, dear listener, we are curious how you feel about this discussion of comfort versus discomfort. And if there are any situations like mine Where you didn't do a thing that you were trying to force yourself to do, and you look back and go, actually, that was a good thing. We're so curious. We always love your feedback. So look at our transcript and our show notes at wellevator.com. Check out all the resources we mentioned, and shoot us an email if you have some ideas and reflections on this topic. It's hello at wellevator.com. That's also our website, again, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And let's talk about it. Comfort, discomfort, pushing ourselves, where your line is, where your boundaries are, where your edge is. Because I really feel this is a super relatable subject for all of us. So we also have the YouTube version. It's great. You can watch my facial expressions, Whitney's facial expressions, how we interact with each other. That's on our YouTube channel. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes in the transcript for this episode. And if you have any ideas or topics you want us to cover, we actually had a great email come through yesterday where someone submitted about five or six topics. So anything you want us to cover and dive into, we always love your suggestions. We have new episodes every Monday and Wednesday and Friday with our special guests, so mark your calendars for new episodes of This Might Get Comfortable. (laughs) We're not going to change the name at this point. Of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back with another episode very soon.